Father in heaven, thank you for another Lord's Day. How good it is that they come to us every week. It's good for our bodies to rest. It's good for our souls to be fed. So will you teach us now this morning on this vital subject of parenting? Give us grace and wisdom. We pray that you would bless all of these efforts to the good of our children, to their eternal good, to their conversion. And so, Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet this morning and confess that without you, we can do nothing. We cannot teach. We cannot listen. We cannot apply. We cannot practice. So will you be our helper all along the way and give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah. The last person that came that through that door got a free giveaway book. But you were late, see, so you don't you don't you don't get the book. See, I really do. I have a I have a stack of books here. Mark picked off the bookshelf out there and we'll give away one maybe every week. So but next time it won't be that door. I already told everybody else that. Okay, so if you come through that door hoping for a gift and you got to be a little more creative than that, okay? Okay, uh, we're talking about the um, huge subject of parenting. And last time we looked at some of the challenges and difficulties involved in parenting, um, which all of them in one way or another are rooted in the big, huge problem of sin. Not just the sin of our children, but our own sin. And how open sin has become in our society and how free and open sin is. And that is a challenge to us because it affects our children. Um, But along with the challenges and difficulties, we also talked about our great hope in facing those challenges. And that great hope is the gospel. It begins with the forgiveness of our sins. And that's rooted in the objective realities of the gospel. But then the gospel is our ongoing hope that there is grace and help for all of us along the way in the process of parenting. So while we talk about the challenges and difficulties, it's not without hope. Okay. Um, We talked about the requirements for parenting. We need to be full of the fear of the Lord. We need courage. We need a gentle and compassionate posture. Uh, It it doesn't. I, I was a shouter when my boys were little. And they heard my loud voice, and I thought the louder I got, the quicker they'd obey. Not true, okay? It doesn't depend on the loudness of your voice. Sometimes you need to get their attention. I I get that. Um, But if our instruction doesn't come in the context of a gentle and compassionate posture, we'll be much less likely to gain their affection and their attention and their obedience. We need wisdom especially that comes to us through the book of Proverbs. We need perseverance. We're in it for the long haul, and we need a close, consistent, consistent, genuine walk with God in the process. It takes a lot of godly living to parent well. So even though parenting are some of the busiest days of your life, we cannot neglect, shove to the back burner, the importance of a close, consistent, careful walk with God. Now, today we want to come to the role of parents. Who are we and what do we do? And uh, 
I'm going to try to give you five things as time allows that define our role as parents. The first one may seem to be obvious, but it's really not anymore. And it's this. We are the parents. Do you wonder why I say that? When the Duke of Windsor, a number of years ago, was asked what impressed him most about his visit to America, he replied, the way American parents obey their children. (laughs) If that was years ago, it ain't better. It's worse now. The The way parents obey their children. Let's not be confused about that. We are the parents. We make the rules. We call the shots. We draw the lines. We make the decisions. We determine the schedules. We have the authority. Comma. (laughs) You thought I was going to say period. Comma. That doesn't mean we don't get input from our kids. That doesn't mean we don't hear them out. We don't debate. There's one word that should seldom come out of the mouths of our kids when we're discussing what just happened. You know what the word is? But. But, Dad, but. That, that's the beginning of the debate, and the debate shuts down right after that word comes out of the mouths. We don't debate. We get input from our kids. Of course we do. It doesn't mean that we're cruel and heartless. It simply means that we're the parents whom God has entrusted with the responsibility for raising these children. We become parents by having children. Then it's a matter of fulfilling those responsibilities, either well or poorly. There's not not an abdication clause in the whole field of parenting. I can't, can't, I'm done. No, that is not an option. We are the parents. That has implications all over the place. We touched on them briefly last time. I just mentioned them again. I'm not their friend, though I cherish their friendship. You understand? I'm not their friend. We, t- we, we used to tell the teachers that all the time here at school. I'm sure Tracy still tells the teachers that. We're the teacher. We're not their friend. We cherish their friendship, but we're the teacher. And that means we have to make the hard decisions and do the things that hurt sometimes. And And... I, I never understood this is going to hurt me more than you when, you know, you say that when you spank your child, it's going to hurt me more than you. Until I stood between my dad's knees facing him and he was ready to let me have it. And I saw the tears rolling down my dad's face. And it dawned on me, this really does hurt him. In some ways, more than it's going to hurt my rear end. I'm not their friend, though I cherish their friendship. I'm not their genie in a lamp, though I love to give to them. I'm not their personal maid, though I love to teach them how to clean their room and take care of their stuff. Okay? When you've made a new acquaintance, a new neighbor, somebody new at church, at the, at the ball game where your kids are playing Little League or whatever, um, the conversation usually turns around to what you do. Hi, I'm Tim. Hi, nice to meet you, John. What do you do? And what we mean is, what do you do for a living? Have any of you ever answered that question by saying, I'm a dad? 
I'm a mom. That's who I am. That's what I do. I work at Kennedy to pay the bills, or I work at Heritage Christian School, to pay, but I'm a dad. Is our identity as parents that ingrained into us that if somebody walks up to us, hey, what do you do? And we know what they mean, but they walk up and say that to us. Do we respond? I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I clean houses to pay the bills. I work over here to pay the bills. We are the parents. And that doesn't cease when they leave the nest. I'm still a parent. And I'm a grandparent. And that's almost better than being a parent. We're the parents. Number two, we are the primary evangelists in the lives of our children. We'll come back to this later when we talk about the goal of our discipline being the, ultimately the conversion of our children. But I want us to understand this at the beginning, that we are the primary evangelists in the lives of our children. Our goal, our ultimate goal in bringing them up is to see them converted. It's not to see them succeed in this world. That's not a bad thing. It's not our reputation that's on the line. That's not a bad thing. It's not our ease of life. It's not their behavior. It's their conversion. So you remember what <clears throat> Paul said to Timothy, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he identifies from whom he had learned them as his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. They were the primary evangelists in the lives of young Timothy, and we must be the primary evangelist in the lives of our children. We'll talk about this more later. Uh, let me just add here that if your kids are not converted, there's still a great deal you can do to teach and train them. We don't wait until they're converted to require obedience of them, though we require it all the time. And it's often the case that God uses that early training in their lives as one of the means to bring about their conversion. A couple of resources. Pastor Ted wrote this book uh, several years ago. It's actually about the baptism and church membership of children. But there's some really helpful stuff in here about the conversion of our children. And I got a whole stack of these up here. You can just help yourself to one. And the book that I just gave away to Brittany, right, is uh, Your Child's Profession of Faith by Dennis Gunderson. Really helpful resource. Sorry? You know this guy? Yeah. Good guy? Yeah. Okay, good. So those are just a couple of resources to help you with the conversion of your children, and we'll talk more about that later. Number three, we're the primary intercessors for our children. You can discipline your child more faithfully than anybody. You can teach him or her more diligently than anyone. You can set the best example before them. You can love them more than anybody else. You can teach them to sit in church earlier and better than anybody else. You can get them to memorize the catechism faster than anybody else, but you can't change their hearts. You understand that? You can't change their hearts. I can't change their hearts. As desperately as we want to do that, that is God's business. But guess what? You can have business with God about changing the hearts of your children. And if that's not on the top of your prayer list or, or, or in the top three 
of your prayer list, then it needs to move up the ladder. We are the primary intercessors for our children. God, only God can change their hearts, but we can have dealings with God about the hearts of our kids. Think about all the stuff your children have to go through on their way to adulthood. Just think about it. How will they navigate safely through all the snares and traps and seductions and pitfalls and deceptions? How will they see through all the lies that surround them? How will they resist all the temptations? How will they keep their heads about them in a world gone crazy? How will they sort out right from wrong? How is it that they will one day make the faith of their fathers their own? Only as God works in their hearts and we have access to God through firm, persistent believing prayer. And be very specific in your prayers for your kids. I mean, be detailed specific in your prayers for your kids. I remember standing over the crib every night and then later over the bed and then even later outside the door of their bedrooms when our boys were still at home. Asking God not only to save our children, but to protect them from the powers of darkness and to protect them from the wiles of the devil to keep them from evil companions and influences, to keep them from getting involved in drugs and pornography. And that was, okay, my boys are 45 and 47. And 40 plus years ago, I was praying that they'd be protected from drugs and pornography. How much more prevalent is that? to keep them from a life of abandonment to sin, to deliver them from pride, to give them wisdom, to give them a love for God's Word, to keep them sexually pure, to prepare them for their life's mate and prepare a mate for them. We prayed over and over and over and over and over again for the girls that our boys would marry while they were still nursing. And God answered those prayers. We have two wonderful daughters-in-law. Be very pointed and specific in your prayers for your kids. Where their primary intercession, I say primary because nobody will have a heart for your kids like you do. So pray for them. Number four, we are the primary role models for our children. Like it or not, we are. And it's like with being parents, we're either good ones or bad ones, or somewhere in between, we are their role models. That's not bothering me. Okay, Cassie, you're, you're fine to just, okay, I'm, I'm used to that, all right? Um, we are role models for our children. One of the worst things you can do to your child is tell them, do as I say, and live a different life than the one you said. Proverbs 4.11, I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you. I, how do you lead? I've led you an upright path. How do you lead somebody? From behind? Or from in front of them? From in front of them, that's how you lead. And that means that you're walking on that path you want them to be on, right? I have led you. We are role models for our children. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. Whew. 
That ought, to, that ought to make your heart palpitate for just a second. Are my ways, is how I live something that the eyes of my son or my daughter can really take delight in? Because they are good and right and holy and pure. We are role models for our kids. Without a hint of boastful arrogance, this father who takes this role model seriously says to his son, watch, or to his daughter, watch my life. You know what it says? Let your eyes delight in my ways. Watch my life. Listen to my speech. Watch what I do when we're on vacation. Watch me in the face of trial and hardship. Watch me respond to unjust criticism. Watch me when others give me credit for something. Watch how I am when no one else is watching. Watch how I am at home and in public. Watch how I spend my free time. Watch my work ethic. Watch how the fear of the Lord works itself out in my life. Watch how I fight against sin and resist temptation. Watch my repentance when I fall. How are kids going to understand what repentance is if they never see it? Watch how quickly I acknowledge my wrong and ask for forgiveness. It's not wrong to ask your children for forgiveness. Why? Because sometimes you sin against them. And they need to see that process. Watch how I respect and treat your mother or your father. Watch how I respect and honor your dad. I already had that in there. Watch how faithful I am to my friends. Watch how I give myself to the Word of God. Watch how I strive to exercise self-control. Watch how I put others before myself. Watch how I heartily enter into worship. Do your kids see that? Do they see you standing there on Sunday morning? You worship, your eyes are upon the screen. And what they see is, I've got to think of a song first. Um, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, when the morning breaks on Sunday. Is that what they see? Or that they see hearty engagement in worship. Which doesn't necessarily mean you're dancing all over the place, okay? (laughs) But do they see in your face that you're serious about giving praise to God? Let your eyes delight in my ways. Watch. How I heartily enter into worship. Watch how I govern carefully what is on the television. Watch how quickly I turn it off when the Victoria's Secret commercial comes on. Watch how careful I am to spend time with God every day in prayer and in His Word. Watch how I keep 
my promises. Watch how we make principal decisions. Watch how we have fun. Watch how I guard my eyes and my tongue. Watch how we acknowledge God in everything. Wow. We're role models for kids. Let your eyes delight in my ways. To give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way to hell. Let your eyes delight in my ways. You'll never have the hearts of your children if they can't delight in your ways. We are the parents. We're evangelists. We're intercessors. We're role models. That's a pretty tall order. That is an impossible order apart from grace. And if anything ought to drive us to our knees, it's that we're role models for our children. Number five, we are teachers. Parents are teachers. They're teachers not because they're gifted to teach, but because they're parents. A father is a teacher because he has children. A mother is a teacher because he has children, not because they've been to college and got a degree from the education department, but because they've been to the hospital and had a baby. I'm not gifted to teach. Are you a parent? Yes or no? then you are a teacher. Degree or no degree. Particular gift to teach or no. Not everybody has a gift to teach, okay? We wouldn't have hired all of you to teach at Heritage Christian School. Because not everybody's gifted to teach. But if you're a parent, you're a teacher. Let me take you through Proverbs and see how this father taught his son. Most of what Proverbs has to say about parenting, it says in terms of father. There are over 50 references to father or to a father's word to his son in Proverbs. It's not that mothers are absent. There are 13 references to mother in these 31 chapters. But the way the book goes to fathers, and the reason is simple, fathers are the heads of their homes, and they're responsible for what goes on in their home. The buck stops with dad. Having said that, the book of Proverbs calls children to obey the teaching of both their fathers and their mothers. Disobedience to one is as bad as disobedience to the other. So mothers are not absent from Proverbs, okay? And that well-known chapter about a virtuous woman, where did that come from? Proverbs 31. It's what King Lemuel's Mother taught him. So moms are not absent from Proverbs, okay? But most of these things are addressed to fathers. And while they're mentioned much more often than mothers, they're not out of the picture. And a great deal of what he said about one may be said about the other. So moms, you're not off the hook here, okay? All right, let's look at... I'm I'm just going to run through some things in Proverbs that describe how this father slash mother taught their children. What were the characteristics of their teaching? This parent-teacher is earnest 
and urgent in his teaching. And by that, I don't mean that parents are always intense when they're teaching children. There's a difference between urgency and earnestness and intensity. Okay? I'm not teaching all this stuff with the same degree of intensity. Do you understand me? <laughs> but I hope I'm teaching it all with urgency and earnestness. Nor do I mean that everything should be taught with urgency. You won't teach your daughter about cooking the same way you'll teach her about the importance of modesty and sexual purity. Those are on different levels. But when it comes to things like character and life issues, our children need to see and perceive that what we're teaching them is really important and there's something urgent about it and they better pay close attention. 23 times in the book of Proverbs, the writer uses this expression, my son. That's a warm, earnest appeal. Right? You don't say, okay. You don't say, my son, take out the garbage. You say, Benjamin, take out the garbage. Thank you. Please take out the garbage. But you don't say, my son. Take out the garbage. I'm uh, sorry? <laughs> but you get the point, see? 23 times, my son, my son, my son. He prefaces his instruction with earnest words. Hear, O sons, give attention, give attention. The garbage. Give attention. Incline your ear to my sayings. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. You know, it's a crime, isn't it? That some children see their parents more earnest and urgent about their jobs, their hobbies, their clothes, their phones, their sports, their cars, their decorating, than about teaching their children. That's a shame. If you're really earnest and urgent about teaching your children, you'll work at being faithful and consistent at it. It won't be an afterthought that you only get to it when you have time. If you're earnest and urgent, you'll plan and schedule what and when you teach your children and you'll be alert to spontaneous moments to teach them. Now, please don't take that in some ironclad mechanical kind of way. Life is full of unscheduled events. True? Interruptions in routine are the routine, right? That's just all the more reason why we need to plan and schedule when and what we teach our children. I'm making a plug here for regular family worship. A couple of resources. Uh, the book, Long Story Short, is a great um, tool to take your kids through the Old Testament. It's on their level, application questions, it's, it, and it, it, it shows that the point of the whole Old Testament is the story of redemption, and it's leading up to the coming of Christ. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible is really good for little bitty ones, and I hope you take advantage of that. Um, a practice that has fallen by the wayside in, in all too many homes is catechizing our children. 
the children's catechism is really good for that. There's also a, a new city catechism that's good for our kids. But you've you got to plan and schedule how this is going to happen. And all too often, it gets plugged in in the few rare spare moments that we do have because the interruptions in life will take over. True? If you wait until you have time, if you wait for that quiet moment, if you wait for that undistracted, it'll, it'll never happen. Because something else will fill that undistracted moment. Oh man, I, listened, I missed the last episode of Blue Bloods. I'm so glad I recorded it. I got time. That's, or whatever. Okay? So, part of being earnest and urgent about teaching your children is that you plan when and what you will teach them. This parent's teaching is appropriately reasoned. And by reason, I mean that the wise man in Proverbs often gives reasons and attaches arguments to enforce his pleas, all of which contribute to his teaching being stamped with earnestness and urgency. Now, to be sure, there is a place for simple, direct instruction without reasons, especially when our children are smaller. Your 18-month-old is not going to listen to a three-minute lecture on why you need to be still when mom's changing the diaper. Okay? If you're still changing diapers at 18 months, which many are. Okay? There's a play. You just, you just do what I said. Why? Because I said so. There are times when our older children need to submit without being given reasons or arguments. All of that is true. But the writer of Proverbs often attaches reasons to his requirements. My son, Proverbs 4, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them with your heart. For what does for introduce? A reason. Here's why you should pay attention to me. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Or when he's urging his son to keep away from sexual impurity. What does he say? And now, o sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Lest. What's he introducing? A reason for why he ought to do what his dad is telling him to do. And look how much, look, just look at the screen. Look how much of that is the requirement and look how much is the reason. The reason way outweighs the requirement. Do we always need to give reasons to our kids? No. Should we give reasons to our children? With some measure of frequency? Absolutely. There are many other examples in the book of Proverbs. I just gave you two. So this parent's teaching is appropriately reasoned. Uh, number three, it's attractive. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. Hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Okay, different culture. All right. 
We don't do wreaths. And guys used to not do ornaments. <laughs> That's a different ball game these days. The point is, it's attractive. It's not too difficult to bark out orders and lay down laws and beat our kids into a dispirited, sullen compliance until they're old enough to beat back. It's a whole different ballgame to make our instructions attractive as it can be. It's easy. Let's go back to the garbage. Take the garbage out right now. No questions. Go. That's easy. It's a little bit different ball game. Okay, how can I make taking the garbage out attractive? Son, I'd like you to take the garbage out right now if you don't mind. Take it out if you do mind. Don't let me reword that. Son, I would like you to take the garbage out right now, please. It will really help your mom because she's so busy right now. And pretty soon, what you threw away in the garbage that you didn't eat, that your mother lovingly fixed for you, is going to start smelling like rot. So please take the garbage out. Okay. You get the point. Um, Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. How hard do we work at making knowledge acceptable to our kids? This is really good for you, for you to do this. Proverbs 16, 21, 23. The wise in heart will be called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Volume of speech increases persuasiveness. Is that what it says? Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. So sometimes when we're handing out requirements for kids, we need to slow down, back up, and let our hearts teach our our mouth how to say that. Think about how you say that. Is it going to land well? Or is it going to be just boom? There are times when it needs to be boom. When they're running toward the street and the car's coming. Stop! But sweetness of speech, general, general rule. Pattern, the pattern. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. And it's not only what we say in the words we choose, but the tone, the spirit, and the attitude in which we say it. This is especially true when we give reproof to our children. It's easy to reprove our kids with meanness and irritation and aggravation. It takes a lot of grace and self-control to make even our reproofs as attractive as possible. And yes, that can be done in a way that lets them know we're not happy with their behavior. Some of the pills our kids are going to have to swallow are bitter. They just are. Because we're crossing their wills. No, you can't go to that movie. No, you can't go spend the night with so-and-so. No, you can't buy that dress. No, you can't have the car tonight. 
But we don't have to give those bitter pills with the ramrod. And so much of this will be determined by the general atmosphere we've cultivated in our homes. It is an atmosphere of unconditional love and acceptance. Or is it an atmosphere of knee-jerk ballistic reactions and drill sergeant lectures? So often the atmosphere of our homes will make what we say more or less attractive to our children. Okay, we keep moving. This parent's teaching is persistent, ongoing, and lifelong. He starts when his son is young and tender and impressionable. When I was a son with my father, tender, and the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me. And he's still teaching his son when he has his own barns and produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. To be sure, when our children grow up and get married, our teaching will not be the same as it was when they were seven. But by the blessing of God, that persistence will pay off and that our children will not be able to shake our voice from their conscience. You know what I want? You know what I want my 45 and 47 year old boys to hear? when they're faced with a challenge or a difficulty, I want them to hear my voice in their ears that they heard when they were 12 and 14. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. I want my boys to hear my voice for the rest of their lives when they need to hear it. And when your kids grow up and get married and leave the nest, the relationships change. I get that. And I'm not calling Benjamin and Aaron up every day and saying, hey, are you doing this? Are you doing this? I, what about that? I don't want really to see you do that again. I, no, no, no. It's a, much different, it's a much different relationship, but I want them to not be able to shake my voice out of their conscience. This parent's teaching is persistent. It's unified. Mom and dad are on the same page. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, my son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. That may take some work. It'll take some leadership on dad's part to make sure you're both on the same page all the time. It may take some compromise on issues that are not clearly moral. And you know that kids will work you against each other if they can, right? Have you been down that road? So, first thing you ought to say, when Johnny or Susie comes to you as either the father or the, let's assume they come to you as the dad. They come to you as dad and say, Dad, can I go spend the afternoon at Fred's house? First thing out of your mouth ought to be, what did your mother say? Because they've already asked mom and mom said no. So they're coming to you to overturn the decision. They're coming to you to review the play. And if you review the play, the, the ruling on the field always stands. Because that's what mom said. Or if they come to mom, mom, can I go spend the afternoon with Johnny? What did your dad say? First thing out of your mouth, what did your dad say? 
If your dad said no, the answer is no. Now, could there be some complicated issues that, that you need to say, hang on, I need, we need to talk about this. Sh- sure, that will happen. But mom and dad have to be on the same page. It's critical to avoid mixed signals to our kids. This parent's teaching is observant and opportunistic. What do I mean? It means that parents are alert to what's going on and they're quick to seize teachable moments. Proverbs 24, 30, 34. I passed by the... You know, you know this passage, right? He saw the field of the lazy guy and he learned some lessons. He learned from what he saw around him. Okay? Um, then he takes what he observes and he turns it into instruction for his children. In chapter 1, the writer of Proverbs observed the ways of sinful companions. In chapter 6, he observed the ways of the ant. In chapter 7, he observed the ways of the naive and the adulteress. In chapter 23, he observed the ways of the drunkard. In chapter 26, it was the ways of the fool. And in chapter 30, it was ants, badgers, locusts, and lizards. And he drew lessons from all of that stuff for his son. So the wise dad and mom will take what they see going on around them and turn them into opportunities for teaching. You, do, you see a funeral going by. You see natural disasters. You see a beautiful sunset. You see a dead bird. You talk about the difference between animals and people. Dad, will that bird be in heaven? Talk about people that have souls and birds that don't. You talk about the school shooting, the disappointing loss in the last second of the soccer game, the awards program at school, the victory in the debate, the referee's bad call in the game, your child's friend's parents' divorce, the incorrect change at the store, the movie you just watched together in the world you promoted. When you see an opportunity, you seize that opportunity to teach your child. And he seizes it quickly, or at least he stores it up to talk about it later. He keeps his eyes open for teachable moments. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said that was a teachable time in his life. Teachable moments don't always come at convenient times. They're like Kodak moments. If you don't seize them, they're gone. And sometimes it's more important to be late for your tea time or your meeting or dinner or workout or movie. Sometimes it's more important to miss the last minute of the game because you've got a teachable moment staring you in the face. And you've got to choose. Is it the end of the world if you miss a teachable moment? No. It's the end of that teachable moment. It's not the end of the world. But you know what happens when you start to miss teachable moments? It becomes easier and easier and easier to miss them. And after that becomes a pattern, pretty soon you don't even see them anymore. And they sail right on by. And we've lost opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to press something home to our kids. Um, I'll only say the title of this topic, this, this opens up a whole nother lesson This parent's teaching is aimed at the child's heart. We're not just concerned about controlling their outward behavior. We want to get to the root of that behavior, and that's their heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, fornication, adultery, thefts, murders, wickedness. Out of the heart are the issues of life. Everything in life is heart-driven. And if all we do is try to control the outside, 
we're missing the boat. We've got to get to the heart, and we'll chase that next time. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, help us to be faithful parents, to seize teachable moments, to measure our words, to guard our attitudes, to do all these things that the Bible calls us to do, to be faithful and genuine parents for our children. Bless all of that to the good of our children, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.